what's better in life than a bottle of wine, great food, and an amazing conversation? My name is Kate Sullivan, and I am the host of To Dine For. I'm a journalist, a foodie, a traveler with an appetite for the stories of people who are hungry for more. Dreamers, visionaries, artists, those who hustle hard in the direction they love. I travel with them to their favorite restaurant to hear how they did it. This show is a toast to them and their American dream. Thank you to the sponsors of To Dine For The Podcast, American National and Spiritless. To Dine For The Podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. For 115 years, American National has remained committed to helping people and communities make a real difference in their lives. American National supports great local community organizations led by the kind of people you hear about on To Dine For, people who are inspired to make a difference and inspire others in return. American National's philosophy is helping where it's needed helps us all. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write, and the states in which they're licensed, visit americannational.com dine. Spiritless supports the conscientious cocktailer who wants to live fully but drink differently. Their signature Kentucky 74 is a distilled non-alcoholic spirit for your favorite bourbon cocktails. It's zero alcohol zero guilt, and just 15 calories per serving. Whether you go completely spiritless or go halvesies with a foolproof bourbon to lower the ABV in your cocktail, you can get your bottle today at spiritless.com. Use promo code to dine for to get free shipping. Welcome to To Dine For The Podcast, where we meet the world's most creative and brilliant minds at their favorite restaurant. On this week's episode is communications expert Susan McPherson. The initial goal of the book was to bring the heart back into building connections, to get away from the clicks and the likes and followers as a means to essentially determine if we're successful. Susan McPherson is a serial connector and communications expert with a wealth of experience across disciplines, including communication strategy and social impact. Her new book, The Lost Art of Connecting, is the perfect book for this moment in time. She talks about how people can enrich their lives, both personally and professionally, by building relationships one day at a time. We dive into the pandemic and how it has dramatically affected how we interact with each other and the dynamic opportunity of this very moment. Please enjoy my interview with Susan McPherson. Thank you so much for being on To Dine For the podcast, Susan. It is so great to see you this morning. The pleasure is mine, Kate. Absolutely wonderful. Congratulations on all the success of, of the program, the podcast, etc. Couldn't be more, more timely. Well, thank you. And let me tell you, when I first started creating this show and thinking about the idea, you know, the idea was that you would connect with someone at a restaurant over a meal in a more natural, authentic, real, meaningful way than if you met in a conference room. Little did I know that COVID was going to hit and that we would (laughs) would start doing these on Zoom. So, I mean, in an ideal world, I'd love to be sitting down with you at your favorite restaurant, eating and enjoying what you love and then hearing your story. So in the absence of being able to do that, can you at least share maybe one of the spots that you consider your favorite? 
Well, this may sound a bit of a Debbie Downer, but my absolute favorite spot closed during COVID. Oh. My fingers are crossed that it's reopening. Where is it? Is, it's in Brooklyn Heights. It actually is on, for those of you who know New York City and Brooklyn, it is on Court Street and it happens to be next to a Popeye's and a McDonald's. <laughs> when you first would walk by, you'd be kind of like, huh? But it's called Queen and it's mm. a third now, third generation now owned Italian restaurant. And when you would go in, you would be greeted by the grandfather who first opened it, the father who now kind of runs it and the son who's taking it over. And they would make their own burrata, their own gnocchi, they would bake oh. their own bread. And it literally was a hop, skip and jump away from where I live. But the thing that was so fascinating about it is every night of the week, it was packed. Um, and it was, um, you know, just delicious. You could always count on the food, but there was something about walking in and being greeted by a family mm. that has taken such pride in making it a much more about what you just explained, more about the food. It mm. was it was about the company and the chatter and the historic relevance, right? If yes. we look at the founding of Brooklyn and New York City, it is, you know, all cultures blend. So you would see people of all kinds. So mm. my, I'm, I'm all the, all the good juju to think that I think they're going to reopen. Yes. I mean, they, they own the building. So we'll oh, fingers crossed, fingers crossed. But you bring up a great point, And that is also there's something um, there's sort of an innate loneliness in New York at times, because, you know, people are so focused on their career. I loved my time in New York, but it was probably the loneliest time of my life. And the yeah. idea of walking into a restaurant where a whole family is there with open greet arms you. to greet you is that juxtaposition has to feel amazing. For sure. And what you just said actually sparked a memory. In 2003, I was going through a divorce. I was living in Seattle. The company I was working for was headquartered in New York, and they offered me the opportunity to move here and said, come for four months. If you, you know, aren't happy, you can go back. I mean, this was a, a time when companies were a bit more generous, although I think we're, we're starting to see that, that turn the other way now. But my sister, who had lived here for years, said to me, and this may be contrary to what you, you just shared, and she said, come to New York. You may be lonely, but you'll never be alone. Mm, ain't that the truth? And for when anyone going through challenging times, whether it be a divorce or grieving loved ones, that helps you. It helps ground you because there's people around. Yes. And where I was in the Seattle area, I had to go in my car to go anywhere and see people. Yes. So there was something about being able to walk out my door in Midtown, which was crazy, right? Hell's Kitchen. And be able to like walk into a Sephora or walk into a coffee shop and see people. Yes, I, I understand that completely. Yeah, it, it's part of the magic of New York is that it, that collective community you feel with strangers every day. Yeah. And who came up with the thought that, that New Yorkers aren't friendly? They're just busy. Oh, no, they're very friendly. I, I think and, and I have the best conversations with complete strangers in New York more than anywhere else in the in the world, really. For yes. God's yeah, no, no, I, I agree with that. Well, before we dive into the lost art of connection, can you tell folks a little bit about your career and what has brought you to this point? You can you call yourself a serial connector. What does that mean? <laughs> well, and, and I honestly, at this point, I used to say I had nine lives. And then once the book launched, I now have 10 lives. So <laughs> Um, and then, you know, th this is the beauty of age, right? You, you have many different journeys to pull from and, and to create who we are, which is an ongoing process, I believe. You know, I grew up in a household of the late 60s, early 70s in upstate New York to parents who were serial connectors. 
And it was all I ever knew. And to give you an example, every morning at the breakfast table, I would buy for real estate for my bowl of cereal because they would have the five local newspapers literally spread out on a very tiny table, plus yesterday's New York Times, because the Times would take a day or two to get up to upstate. And they'd be madly clipping and cutting, going to their respective manual typewriters and typing short little missives, things like thinking of you, cousin Harry, thinking of you, reporter Jim, my mother worked in PR for public television, or thinking of you, former student Joan, my father taught at a women's college for close to 40 years. And he would have not only moms, but then he would have their daughters and then their granddaughters. Mm. And he would stay in touch with all of them until he passed in 2008. Anyhow, long-winded story, but this was what I thought was the norm. Mm. And as life progressed and technology became the thing, I mean, I'll never forget having my first fax machine and being able to do what they did, but instantaneously. <laughs> although, Kate, I have to be honest with you, I have a feeling those faxes never got to their destination. <laughs> um, they're still somewhere they're out still there. Out the there. They're still out there. <laughs> Space. Space junk, right? And then come the mid 90s, when we had the internet and email, I was able to take what they had done to the hundredth degree and not only be able to send out missives, but make connections in those missives. So if I sent an email about an amazing restaurant or a city I visited abroad or a nonprofit I was passionate about, I could send it to 10 people. And then by virtue of doing that, connect them all mm. based on that of something. Mm. And it became my calling card. But it wasn't until 2007 when I was starting to think about, I, I had already gotten into corporate responsibility and social impact, but it was also at a time when social media was taking off and it became very important that we could all articulate in a very short and concise way what our secret sauces were or our chief differentiating factors, which is what I call them in the book. And what I was able to do was go away with eight girlfriends. We went up to the Catskills. And for those who listening, Catskills are north of New York. And the goal of the weekend was to hold each other accountable to come up with our elevator speeches. Hmm. So by Sunday, I had crafted Susan McPherson is a serial connector, blah, 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 blah. I will be honest with you. When I said it, I almost peed in my pants. <laughs> Why? It sounded so ridiculous. <laughs> like, who would call himself that? But here's the thing. I had seven or I think eight, maybe dear friends who were confirming it to be the truth. Mm -hmm. And it became a self-fulfilling prophecy. And 16 years later, I wrote the book on it or 15 years later. So that is kind of the trajectory of the serial connector. The, the social impact really came out of just the notion of business being a, a, a power and source of potential good in the world. We know that that is a stretch because, you know, business has, quote unquote, the fiduciary responsibility to shareholders. But what we have seen in the last 20 years is that is vastly changing and for all good. But I will say, and to tie it back between the connections and social impact, I founded my business at age 48, almost eight years ago. 95% of the business has been inbound. So that tells me that the connections I made meaningful connections in my 20s, 30s, and 40s, literally came back mm. to help. And it wasn't like in those days, I was sitting there saying, well, in 30 years, I'm going to start a company and I'm going to come calling. But right. that didn't even. Right. Anyhow. You called the book, The Lost Art of Connection. And I think that is so apropos because 
When people think about connection or making connections or LinkedIn or going to a mixer to meet professional people, remember when we used to do that? It's coming they, back, by the way. Yeah, it will come back, definitely. It's almost made with the idea that you're doing it for business. You're doing it for professional gain. And I think at the very heart of your book and what you're trying to say and what your parents did is it has to come from a place of curiosity and heart. Yep, yep, yep. Well, and and I am not anti-networking. And uh, there's a reason I didn't call it the lost art of networking. Mm-hmm. Um, networking is something we all, at some point, in many points in our lives, we have to do. But it's very transactional. And if you look up the definition, it is very much associated with work. And what I have found and what I spell out in the book is this notion of building meaningful connections for the long haul. Mm -hmm. And there's even two chapters designed to help introverts to connect because it is much less terrifying to connect one-on-one or one-on-two than one-on-100. Yes. And this notion of coming from a place of desire to support, desire to help. How can I be a best support? Who can I introduce you to that's going to help you meet your goals? So leading with generosity is paramount. Yeah, yeah. And being vulnerable, being open, because we can't expect others to feel comfortable to open to us if we're going to be a closed book. Sure. And I will make note, you know, this is this is also grounded in business in the sense that studies have shown that when companies actually make space for the the building of meaningful connections, productivity increases, friendships ensue. And when friendships ensue, people stay at the company longer. They are much more likely to recommend the company. And quite frankly, it becomes a better experience for everyone. So it is grounded both in the personal and the professional. And I will go so far as saying, you know, come the mid nineties, the day that kind of the internet happened and we all, or those of us who worked in professional settings where we were granted a computer and we would bring, you know, at home and then dial up to send our email and receive our email, the days of like work and life were no longer separated. Yes. I mean, I would do my dishes while I was downloading my emails, wipe off my hands, go back, send the emails. So at that point, it became one and the same. And I think at that point, I never, I, I kind of became work Susan and home Susan were the same person. We'll have more on this conversation in just a minute. But first, thank you to our sponsors. To Dine For the podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. There's a funny thing about most insurance commercials, whether they feature lizards or birds or funny cartoon characters. It seems like they want you to think about anything but insurance. American National, on the other hand, has real local agents who get to know you so they can help you reach better decisions about your insurance to make sure you're protecting what matters most to you. American National Agents are part of your community. They're your neighbors. So whether it's solutions for your home, your small business, your farm, or your life, you can count on your local American National Agent to make sure you get the discounts you deserve and the protection you need without paying for extras you don't. With American National, you get an ally, not just a web page. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write in the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com slash dine. If you're like me, there are times when you want to feel like you're having a fancy cocktail, but you don't actually want the alcohol. So I love Kentucky 74 from Spiritless. It's a distilled, non-alcoholic spirit for your favorite bourbon cocktails, but with just 15 calories per serving and none of the guilt. 
You can pre-order your bottle today at spiritless.com. Use the promo code to dine for to get free shipping. Now back to our conversation. You know, the pandemic has really thrown everybody for a loop in so many different ways. People are starved for connection. How have you, over the past year, you led with the fact that you're a big extrovert and this this has been a very challenging year. How have you tried in different ways to find meaningful connections and to maintain them? Sure. 14 months of being solo. No kids, no parents, no significant other. Um, I have a wonderful dog, but unfortunately she has been upstate since the end of February because I landed two herniated discs a few weeks before my book launch. Oh my goodness. Uh, I'm so sorry. Wow. (laughs) But, you know, I will say a couple of things that that helped me get through um, and I'm still doing it today is every morning I would reach out to three to five people in whatever mode was easiest, text, WhatsApp, email, pick up the phone and call and there would be no agenda, meaning I would just be reaching out to say, thinking of you, sending love. Are you doing okay? Is there anything you need? Or just, hey, I'm here. Don't forget about me. Mm-hmm. And there was a bit of dopamine I got. My hope was it put a little joy in, in their lives, but it was a connective tissue. It was mm-hmm. a way to stay connected. I also walked like a fiend. And what that helped doing is connecting me to my local community you know, and interestingly enough, in the book, I interview uh, Marianne Banikaram, who is the CMO of Nextdoor. I know her very well, and she's a sweetheart. Oh, she's amazing. Yeah. But Nextdoor, the growth and just the, the meaning of Nextdoor has, has become so much more powerful because we have all become much more local. Yes. Spending so much time getting to, you know, know the streets of where I am in Brooklyn, but surrounding areas gave me a sense of community that I honestly never had. I mean, talking to shop owners, talking to restaurants, you know, all the things. And thankfully, I have a dog who's very much like Norm on Cheers. So (laughs) she would like go up and like kiss and hug everyone. And that would prompt conversations. But it, again, helped me get through this just really, really bit of loneliness. I will also say writing the book and interviewing incredible people that have made connection part of their lives gave me a sense of hope for the future. Oh, that's wonderful. Part of the book is um, a a very systematic process, which is gather, ask, do. It's actually in the title. Can you explain what that is and how people can implement that in everyday life? I love that question. And I will go so far as say, we are at a precipice right now where gather, ask, do would work perfectly. First of all, the gather begins with doing self-reflection. And looking inside yourself and thinking, what is a meaningful connection? What does it mean to you? Because it is very personal. It also means doing a bit of soul searching of what your goals are for the next four years, four months, four weeks. And when you are able to determine that, thinking about what is the community you want to build around you that's going to help you meet those goals? Who Mm. do you want to meet or reconnect with that's going to help you meet those goals? So I think you're seeing a bit of intentionality. Also, what are you going to do in your power to ensure that the community you're surrounding with doesn't look like you, sound like you, same age as you, same race and cultural heritage as you, so that you can prompt lots of new thinking and new ideas? I love that. And lastly, in Gather, what is your superpower or superpowers or secret sauces that you can offer up to this community? Because I think, as you mentioned earlier, this isn't just about getting. It's very much about giving. That's Gavin. Ask, interestingly enough, is not 
asking for what we want, what we deserve and, and, and what we need. But I do discuss that in the book. But the overarching ask is learning to ask the questions of others so that we can understand what are their hopes and dreams? What are their challenges and problems? So that if you listen carefully, you can get to the do phase, which is my favorite place to be. And that's where after listening, you have all the data to be responsive, resourceful, helpful, trustworthy, all the things that actually make us thrive in life. Mm -hmm. And that is the gather ask do. So this is a really good moment, you know, where we're, I almost liken it to purgatory, you know, where we've got one foot out the door, we're starting to kind of reemerge, but we're a little trepidatious. Mm -hmm. And this would give us a bit of grounding. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the gather ask do, Kate. Uh, well, first of all, I, I love that. And you, you bring up a great point, and that is there's not a single person right now, professionally or personally, who hasn't been rocked by the pandemic. So what better time to reach out to people that you have maybe lost the connection with or haven't talked to? And, you know, this is a perfect time, even if you haven't talked to someone in four years and you're maybe even embarrassed, you're like, I wish I'd kept up with that person to reach out and say, how has the pandemic been for you? I've been thinking about you. How can I help you? And, and, and have that. This is the perfect time because it gives everyone a conversation starter. Well, and in the book, I, there's a chapter that has 11 questions to help people, you know, so that we don't deem to the lowest common denominator, which is the weather. But I think <laughs> you know, this pandemic has been God awful and certainly got, you know, horrible for people who've lost loved ones, lost livelihoods, lost jobs, all the things caught up in, in just horrible racial strife, everything. And so this is a moment where let's use it and abuse it, meaning it's been so horrible. Let's at least get some good out of it and yes. use it to reconnect with people. Yes, right? yes. And, you know, I think it was the gather section of what you just said. You asked the question, and it's a question that I love to ask on To Dine For of all my guests. You know, I love to get to the heart of what someone thinks they're uniquely gifted in or talented or what is their superpower. And it is a question that I assume that they've done the work of trying to figure that out themselves because I'm interviewing people at the highest levels. But many haven't. And, no. and and it's a question, ironically, that men seem to really jump right into. They love the question. Women, on the other hand, when you ask this question, one woman said to me, is this a trick question? <laughs> and I said, I promise you it's not a trick question. I'm asking it from a place of authenticity. I really care about you and what you're uniquely gifted at. But it, it is a question that you really need to think about. So it's it's good that you said it to put it out for people who are listening to think about that question and to really give it some thought and some deep thought about what is it that you are, everyone's good at something. What is everyone, it good? Everyone's good at some things, right? Yes. I mean, but I think sometimes we, we put pressure on ourselves to make sure that whatever we're good at matches the particular situation at hand. Right. And I think a deeper question. And I also think that it's going to change throughout our lifetime. Sure. We're going to have phases where we're, you know, we have one strength and maybe it'll wane and we'll pick up another. But I, I think it's a really healthy exercise. And I think it's fair to ask your friends, your loved ones, your dog or cat, because that self-confirming, I mean, honestly, it took me to have those seven or eight girlfriends around me to give me the strength to be able to say, I, this is my strength, this, I own it, I'm going to, I'm going to live with it, I'm going to exploit it, I mean, in a positive way. I don't know if I, if I hadn't had that kind of comfort, I, I go so far as called like a cashmere blanket around me, right. that helped me enunciate, because I think you raise, 
we tend to be insecure. We tend to have imposter syndrome, all those things. And, and my, there's not a day I don't wake up thinking, did I really write a book? Like people are reading the book. So I, I'm, I'm completely like, I have imposter syndrome every damn day. Mm-hmm. I think you bring a, up a great point, And that is that sometimes other people know your strengths better than others. So your, your group of uh, girlfriends were able to validate what you knew deep inside based on your, you know, growing up with your parents, that that was intrinsic to who you are. And so sometimes if, if someone's out there struggling with that question and saying, gosh, I don't know what my, what, what makes me special is sometimes asking the people who know you the best, that very question, you, you will be very revealing. You know, this is this pandemic has changed the way we interact and the way we try to, you know, forge friendships and make connections. And I think, tell me if you're seeing the same thing. As I kind of walk around the world over the past month, I find people are more, I don't want to say rude. I want to say everyone is dealing with something very heavy. And I find people much more guarded and people are in a different mental space than they were 18 months ago. And so I'm wondering from your expertise, how to connect with people differently, knowing that they are different. Well, first of all, we are going through collective grief. Yes. And in some ways, and there's been a lot of articles that I'm seeing on this that you know, because we quote unquote recovered, and I don't even think we're recovered yet, right. but because it was so fast, you know, there, there wasn't like a moment to stop and process or many moments to stop and process really what we've been through. And it, you know, it has been collective health. So I think what you're seeing is people we're shell shocked, right? And we're kind of just like wandering around and we're, we're being told we, you know, it's time to go out. So we're going through the motions, but we're going through the motions without the tools to actually do it. And without the kind of reckoning of grief, right? I mean, you know, my mom was killed when I was 20, um, just turned 22 in a god-awful tragedy. And honestly, for 10 years, I think I was in a coma. Really? I mean, you know, it, it, and I didn't get the help. I didn't get the therapy that I needed. Mm. I just, you know, it was at a time when you, you know, you had your, took your few weeks of grief off and then you were expected to bounce back. And wow. there were no collective kind of platforms I mean, I look today, there's something called modernloss.com, which is an incredible resource for people going through any kind of grief, mm-hmm. even COVID grief, right? Modernloss.com? I mean, so, yeah. Oh, and that's actually, interesting. one of the, the co-founders is featured in the book because she has built connections mm-hmm. based on probably one of the most deeply personal loss. So in some ways, what we're going through right now is 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 grief, right? I mean, whether you lost someone, which right. in many cases you, you did, or lost 18 months of your life if you're a teenager. You know, I mean, everybody. It's almost like you, you we need to have radical empathy knowing well, that everyone is walking around wounded because you get the sense that everyone is just over it. You know, that everyone's just <laughs> done. And so it, you, when you interact with, you know, three or four people in a day that are just over it, you know, all of a sudden you, you realize that, wow, culture has changed and people have changed. And how do I navigate this new norm where interactions are different. I feel it. Do you feel it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I I think that this is the time for those of us who feel okay to be vulnerable, Mm -hmm. to open up. And basically, if somebody is being abrasive or cold, you could stop and say, I understand this year has been tough. I'm here when you're, when you're ready to, to, I mean, if this person is meaningful to you. Um, I think also just acknowledging it, 
right? Yes. I mean, stating it like it sucks. Yeah. And and you know, we we tend to think if somebody is privileged and wealthy, they didn't suffer. And you know, that that's a broad assumption, right? Sure. I mean, we don't know. In this fact, I think you mentioned early in in the podcast, um, Kate, this notion of curiosity. I think this is a time to actually open up our hearts and be curious, not not invasive of people's privacy, but really, you know, asking the question, instead of just saying, how are you? Say, you know, if you could describe in three or four words how you are today, mm-hmm. share with me. So so that somebody just doesn't say, I'm fine. Sure, that's good. Can you describe? I like to, my dad used to say, on a scale of one to 10, how are you doing? Because that yeah. that really is very revealing because fine yeah. could be a three or a 10. And yeah. so you that kind of, it really prompts you to ask, you know, more questions after that. I think you're absolutely right. I think that this book is, the timing of this book is so perfect. What has the feedback been? Has anything that people who have read the book said to you that surprised you about it? Well, I'm just surprised anyone's reading it just because that's who I am. Um, I I will tell you a month before it launched, I burst into tears. I mean, partly because my back was killing me, but because it felt so disingenuous to be launching a book about meaningful connections at the loneliest time in my life. But my sister wisely stated, she said, no, Susan, this is the most important time because if anything, we now realize how important our meaningful connections are. Amen. And I'd have taken them for granted. So that, that, just that realization. And, you know, the book was conceived four years ago. You know, I think a lot of people who see it think it's a reaction to, or how do we reconnect post pandemic, which it can be certainly, but the initial goal of the book was to bring the heart back into building connections, to get away from the clicks and the likes and followers as a means to essentially determine if we're successful, mm-hmm. and myself included, and to really bring back that that way of leading with how can I be helpful rather than what can I get. Mm-hmm. So I, I'll just be honest, I'm surprised people are enjoying it. <laughs> just, and, and I don't even want to go where that says about me, but <laughs> I love that I'm receiving comments and letters from people who are saying that this is being helpful because if anything I love to do in life is support and and help others with challenges. Oh, well, thank you so much, Susan. It's been wonderful to talk to you today. I wish we could be sitting at Queen and and enjoying some uh, delicious Italian food. So I'm really, I'm pulling for Queen to come back. It's so funny that the previous podcast was with the youngest sommelier in the world, and she picked a restaurant called King, also in New York. You know, it's all it's all alignment and all of these stars. I know that. And it's just that that is another theme of my book. And that is the the notion of of constellations Mm. and thinking of connections as building your own constellations and creating tapestries of stories, because constellations were actually created in antiquity because people would look up at the sky and try to make sense of it all. Mm. So when you actually make connections, you are literally creating impact. You're creating stuff happening. So um, that is kind of what they were doing when they when they looked up in the sky. And at the end of the day, that's what life's all about. It's about the connections we make and 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 having an impact on people. So, you know what? Beautiful book, beautiful timing. Thank you so much, Susan. I hope you enjoy your day and thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Kate, and thank you for the goodness you're putting out in the world. Oh, thank you. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to To Dine For The Podcast. 
For more information on the show, the guests, and the podcast, head to todineforTV.com. You can find us on Instagram at todineforTV and Facebook at todinefor with Kate Sullivan. Thanks to the sponsors of To Dine For the podcast, American National and Spiritless. Special thank you to producer and sound editor John Golner. To the loyal followers of this program, cheers, stay hungry, and stay inspired. I'll see you back at the table soon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.